So welcome to Jesus Ethics. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Thank you for your word, your teachings, your life. And may we, with our heart and our soul, engage fully and completely with who you are. Um, Teach us, woo us, draw us in, and may we be ever transformed because of your love. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, So we are in our Jesus Ethics series, and this week is entitled All In. And we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we have looked at our Jesus Ethics series and as we've kind of launched a little bit into what Jesus teaches and how he teaches it and what he's teaching us about um, how he lives and how he's interacting with people through the choices that he makes, through the people that he invites around his table, we've kind of launched in and, and in these last few weeks, we've gone and we've, we've looked at what it means to turn the other cheek, what it means to go the extra mile, to let them have your tunic. We've talked about loving God with all, with all of our heart and soul and strength, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy. We've talked about what it means to serve others, to consider others better than ourselves, to bring in the marginalized, to lay down our lives, um, to take up our cross daily. And now that we've had that opportunity and that time to sort of study the person of Jesus, to look and to see who he is and how he has lived and what he's teaching us to do, we'd like to ask you the question, are you in? Are we all in? Is this attractive enough? Is Jesus and the way in which he teaches and he leads and he loves and he lives, is it attractive enough? And at the end of all of this story, Jesus takes his disciples. He says, go up to the mountain in Galilee. They have to trek from Jerusalem up to Galilee. And he says, go. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go all to, the, to all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always. So keep calm and go all in. This phrase, all in, comes from poker. I don't know poker. I've rarely ever, ever played. I played once in junior high, and I played with a girlfriend. We um, were up at their cabin in Tahoe, and we decided, because we were in junior high and this seems like a good idea, um, that we would play strip poker. We didn't know what that was, but we knew that people had done that. And so, calm down. Sit tight. It's going to be okay. And because we were so deathly afraid of getting down to swimsuits up at Lake Tahoe, we placed on every layer of clothing that we had packed. And I I swear to you, we didn't get down one, two layers of clothing. I still had a parka on. We were like playing strip poker like Michelin men, just the two girls hanging out. I don't know how to play. Um, I've never played, but I've heard this phrase all in. And when you search the phrase all in, 
These are the kinds of images that you come up with. It's when all of your chips, the bet that you're going to make is so great that you put everything in on that deal. You go all in. There's not one poker chip you're holding back out. You've got such a good hand that you go all in because you're sure of that bet. And this is what we think Jesus is asking us to do. And it's what we think he's asked his disciples to do after those three years of ministry, after raising people from the dead, healing the sick, curing those who are lame and blind and crippled and outcast. After he does all of that, after he himself is raised from the dead, he's like, is that a good thing? Are you in? Are we all in? Let's look a little bit at what it meant to those disciples 2,000 years ago to hear that call. Now, the word disciple had a very tangible meaning to it. And there was a process that was being developed just before Jesus' day, during Jesus' day, and after Jesus' day, where a rabbi, a teacher, a sage would spend time with students, with learners, with disciples, and that they would develop this life together. In Perke Avot, the sayings of the fathers, one of the sages not that far around Jesus' time says this, Judah ben Tema used to say, at five years old, a person should study the scriptures. So that's why the five-year-olds are outside right now, okay? And at 10 years for the Mishnah, which is like the interpretations of the oral Torah. At 13, the commandments. At 15, the Talmud. At 18, for the bride chamber. At 20, for one's life pursuit. At 30, for authority. Remember, Jesus starts his ministry around 30, and they always say, look, he has so much authority. And at 40, for discernment. So if you're just hitting 40, thank you very much. Now I'm just figuring things out. Um, At 50, for counsel. So I won't be asking any of you advice unless you're at least 50. And at 60 to be an elder, at 70 for gray hairs. Some of us might have gotten there sooner. And at 80 for special strength. I don't know what that is. Um, Someone will have to tell me. At 90 for decrepitude. Sad, sad at that point. And at 100, a man is as one who has already died and has ceased from the affairs of this world. Um, So it's okay because we do have the biblical example of Moses living to 120. And it says that he still could see very well and he had all of his strength, his vigor. So um, we'll talk about that, I guess, when we um, get to Exodus or Deuteronomy. Um, And so this was sort of a structure in Jesus's day of how we would spend time, how students would be raised up to study. And we may, we've taught about this before. We've taken lots of you to Israel. Um, Maybe you've heard other teachers teach about this. We want to do a quick review. Shmuel Safrai says it this way. If a boy showed further ability and willingness, he might even after some years go to one of the famous sages and stay with him for a number of years. So it wasn't just that you would go to school, that you were raised in a community where you would sit and study the text and and learn to interpret the Torah, but that after a particular time, if you showed particularly good skill and ability, you would actually go and live with one of these rabbis, live with one of the sages. And remember that Peter and the other disciples say to Jesus, Lord, we've left everything for you. They've been with him for those three years. They've left house and home and family and profession and income. This is what it meant to go and to be a disciple of a rabbi. Shemul Safrai also says it this way, study by itself did not transform a student into a disciple. It's not enough just to study what Jesus teaches. There are subjects which could not be systematically studied or explicitly enunciated, and subtle spiritual matters could be learned only by participating in the master's life. 
Imagine that the early disciples never had to go to a seminar on prayer. They didn't have to do the four steps of the uh, spiritual laws or, uh, gee, I wonder how Jesus spreads, you know, do we have like a seminar on how to be evangelistic? They simply watched him, lived with him, ate with him, slept together in the same senses, all of those things. They did, they had all of life together. So if you want to know what the rabbi's prayer is, just before he goes to bed, you're there, you hear it. And if you want to know what the rabbi's prayer is when the rabbi gets up in the morning, you're there and you hear it. And before you eat and after you eat and before you, as you wake up, blessing God and thanking him that he's given you sight to the blind. As you get dressed in the morning, thanking God that he's clothed us. All of those prayers, you get to simply absorb. You simply hear said over and over and over again. Raise your hand if there's something your parents taught you that they actually never taught you, but you just absorbed it by being in their presence. It's something that you've always done. Thanks for the hand raised a little bit. Yeah, right. It's something that we've always done simply because we've always done it that way. We've absorbed it, even if it wasn't ever explicitly taught to us. This is what it means to be in a relationship with a rabbi and to be that rabbi's disciple. It was such an intimate relationship that it was likened as a father to a son. He who teaches Torah to the child of another, it's as if he has given birth to him, the Talmud says. You see, our parents give us physical birth, but our rabbi, for us, our rabbi Jesus gives us life, spiritual life. And it was such, so common to spend time with a rabbi, with a sage, with a master teacher, that there was even um, instructions about how you would do this. And Yose ben Yoezer of, of, let me say this right, Terzerada, got that? Sure, that's sure, we're going to go with that. Said this in Perkei Vote, Sayings of the Fathers. Let your house be a meeting house for the sages and sit amid the dust of their feet And drink in their words with thirst. And this picture, this concept was that you would sit at the feet of the rabbi, of the master sage teacher and listen. With cupped ears. Waiting. And as they sat and maybe their feet stirred up the dust as you would sit there, their dust would cover you the way their teaching was falling upon you. This is a phrasing, um, to sit at the feet of a rabbi was a phrase used for discipleship. Remember that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha's worried about many things, but Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better part. This may not be about housework. This may be about whether or not Martha's comfortable seeing her sister sit and learn the way the young men are learning. But she does, and Jesus says, good job. And Paul himself says that he sat at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. Gamaliel, got it. Rabbi Gamaliel. And that he sat at the feet, meaning that that he is his disciple. Now this phrasing was also this, this sitting in the dust or sit amidst the dust could also be like powdered with the dust of. So that concept of follow the leader, that as you walk those dusty roads, that you would follow so close to the rabbi that as his dust was kicked up, you would get covered and caked in it by the end of the day. And you would look at the end of the day and you would have to wipe all of that down. This is the system, the, the process, the community 
of which Jesus calls disciples. This is what everybody understood that to be. And what's important to understand about this is in modern Christianity and a lot of religious circles, what's most important is making believers. The idea and the concept that you accept certain truths or certain statements of faith, and this is very important, obviously, for us. But when you take a look at the ethics of Jesus and when you take a look at the system and you take a look at the educational process and you take a look at the multiple ways in the Gospels in which they say phraseology and terms and they use illustrations and parables to describe what does it mean to be a part of this movement, it's not about an assent to a certain belief. It's about choosing to follow Jesus in a way that's completely Well, it's all in. It's lifestyle. It's dedicated to the teachings. It's behavior. It's discipleship. I have this image I forgot to put in into the slideshow that I absolutely love. It's from Guitar Center for all of you musicians who love to shop at Guitar Center. And it's a picture of all these very famous drummers. And in the center of this advertisement for this drum company, it says, some drummers have followers. These drummers have disciples. And the message behind that is when certain people are following these drummers, they're not just like, wow, you're really awesome. No, they are studying everything of how they hold their sticks, of how they sit, of how they arrange their drum kit, of what kind of rhythms they're doing. They, these drummers have disciples, people that are following so close, paying so much close attention that their lives are actually being transformed as a result of paying attention and spending time. So when we say all in, one of the things that we are making a distinction about is the difference between what does it mean to be a believer, which is very important, but what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower. And this shouldn't surprise us because all throughout, as I mentioned before, all throughout the Gospels, this phraseology of follow me actually emerges all over the place. And it's very... um, Small writing. So, there they are. <laughs> you want to read Simon them? calls Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're casting a net into the lake, and their fishermen come follow me, Jesus says, and I'll send you out to fish. And they, once they leave everything and follow him, Matthew 4, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And then he gets into the boat, but his disciples go and follow him. Matthew is sitting at the tax collector booth, and Jesus says, follow me, and he goes. And then later on, Jesus will say to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Follow me even in this Thing. Jesus looks at him, loves him. This is the rich man. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. The next day, Jesus decides to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he says to him, follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. This is not about clicking the box on Facebook that says Christian, or when the census calls. Or simply saying, yes, I've read that statement of faith on a website. I've read that creed, and I'm going to click that box and say agree. And then sign the uh, iTunes agreement form at the bottom, right? I mean, we do all those types of things where these contracts are put in front of us, and we just sign our name to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, fine, I agree. Okay, Jesus, yes, I agree. Jesus is Lord, amen, I agree. That's good. Know that. But it's much more than that. If we did not need Jesus's life, then the Gospels would begin with his birth and conclude very quickly with his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And we would say, yes, he's Lord, amen, died on the cross to save me from my sins. That's enough. I agree. And then your gospels are much shorter. Your Bible will be a lot lighter. And you just need a chapter or two at the beginning and a chapter or two at the end. Those Bible reading plans would be sweet. Right. You just get through all of it within January 1st through 30th, you know, every year when you commit. It's not only that. It's all of the things in between. It's all of the follow me, this giant, amazing life game of follow the leader. Jesus stands up, you stand up. Jesus sits down, you sit down. Jesus blesses God for the food, you bless God for the food. Jesus reaches out, ministers to the poor, ministers to the sick. We reach out, we minister to the poor, to the sick. This is a giant game of follow the leader, but it's not a game. It's an all-in life experience. Jesus is not simply someone to be studied. We've been studying him, and that's good. But he's not just a person to be studied. He is alive. And when he says, follow me, 2,000 years ago, he is saying that again to us today. Follow me. Get up. Come. Follow me. And we get to be with him. We get to know him. We get to experience him. And we have life with Jesus, experiencing the mundane as well as the spectacular. Jesus is with us. Christianity is not a faith about a set of principles that we should all just agree to and get other people to check the box too. And I got more people to check the box and you got more people to check the box. And my guilt now is relieved somehow because I got more people to check the box. Now I don't have to feel bad if, for, you know, if they burn forever in the fiery pit of hell. So I'm really glad because I got somebody to check the box. Now I don't feel bad about that anymore. Well, that sounds a lot like a gospel of works. And it sounds a lot like it's about me. But what if instead this faith that we have is a relationship with Jesus, with the creator of the universe who loves us, who is, he he looks at you, he looks at me and he says, you are my beloved and I want to be with you. It is not enough for me to be in a marriage where Kevin knows that I simply exist. Yes, I agree, Danielle exists. And I agree that she's amazing. Check the box. (laughs) Instead, the marriage, the relationship is when we are with one another. When we share life with one another. This is the with that we are longing for. Jesus is with us. And in fact, in Mark chapter 3, it says that this is exactly why he chose the 12. He went up on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be, say it with me, with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He chooses the 12 that they might be with him. He chooses us that we might be with him that he might be with us. In fact, the beginning of Matthew talks about the virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This all-in thing, this is not something we have to do alone. This is something we do with Jesus. Exodus 3.12, it's this beautiful echo of what Jesus is talking about. And God said, I will be with 
you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. Doesn't that sound very similar to Matthew chapter 28? He takes them up to the mountain in Galilee, and he says to them on that mountain, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. Those of us who are waiting and begging for his coming again, his second coming, amen, let's wait. But just so you know, he's here now. He's with you now, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. This is what he says. I'm not making it up. It's Matthew chapter 28. He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore to all the world, all the nations. So it's not just like he's in one spot. He's everywhere and he goes with us as we go. He says, surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're talking about all in, all your chips, your entire life every single aspect, put it all in. But then we're also talking about that being discipleship, following Jesus, your life modeled after him, not just a belief system. But even still with all of those words, I can imagine that because of the ways in which we're sometimes conditioned, because of guilt and shame and pressure, and it's like, man, this is kind of a heavy burden. So let's just remind ourselves of a couple things. Number one, what we're not talking about when we're talking about all in is we're not talking about the absence of doubt. And we're not talking about you not having a day when you're questioning things. If you notice carefully, one of my favorite phrases in this Matthew 28 passage is that these disciples were there. uh, Jesus has been resurrected and they were gathered there and they all met with him and then some doubted. While worshiping. While worshiping. Doubt and belief are not mutually exclusive. If you worshipped here today and doubted at the same time, welcome to the club. If when you were worshipping and we were teaching you motions, you doubted (laughs) whether or not this would be a good experience today, no problem. We're just embodying Matthew 28. So we're not talking about doubt. We're not talking about having it all together either. This is some of the sometimes the message that can get through when we say discipleship commitment, but we're not talking about perfection. In fact, those people who think they have it all together are not the ones being called to follow Jesus. Uh, This goes back to some other messages that we've given here. So we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about nailing it. We're not talking about having it all together. In fact, what we are talking about is some very messed up people doing their best to model their life after Jesus because we don't have it all together. And then we're not talking about bumper sticker, what our friend likes to call... um, Hardcore. He calls hardcore. Like, you are such a Christian, you are like hardcore, and you make sure everybody knows it. My cross is bigger than yours. It's made out of more carrots than your cross. My Bible is heavier than yours, and it's the embroidery of my name is bigger than yours. I have more bumper stickers on my car than you. I go to church more frequently than you. I read the Bible in the Hebrew and the Greek. I read the Bible in the Hebrew and the Greek more than you. That's right. So we're not talking about any of these things. Because all of these things, these religious ideas, just heap on more and more pressure, more and more shame, more and more comparisons, more and more of the, I have to do this or I have to gain these particular levels. These spiritual perfection projects, right? These things where you say to yourself, and I say to myself, hey, today, this is the year. 
every morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to have this amazing time with Jesus. And we're gonna, it's going to be holy. It's going to be awesome. And I'm not going to curse on my way to work when those people cut me off. That's, you know, I'm just never going to do that again. This is the year. And we set up that spiritual perfection project and we fail. And then we're like, well, that's it. You know, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm, you know, this is, it, it's, it's just not worth it. The thing is, Jesus isn't really interested in your spiritual perfection project. He's interested in having a relationship with you. He wants to be with you. He's not interested in you getting it all together all the time right. If he was interested in that, he picked the wrong 12 disciples. And not only that, he picked the wrong pastors. He picked the wrong church. He picked the wrong human race. He needed to pick someone entirely different, right? Some other creature that's not yet been formed. This is who, this is the program Jesus picked. And by the way, it seems to be working because 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. And we're still this discipleship thing with imperfect human beings that fail at every spiritual perfection project that they have. This seems to be the system that works to spread the truth and message of Jesus into this world. So what does all in mean? Let me give you two pictures, and then we'll explain a little bit more. The first picture comes from the rabbinical idea of discipleship, and that you can only be a disciple, you can only be connected with somebody else by living in their life, by participating in the master's life, as Shmuel Sofrai said. And one of the beautiful pictures that comes out of that is, like a candle can only be lit by another candle, by being close and being in proximity. So your life is lit by the light of Jesus by only being close. And again, if we are to be that light of the world, if, we're, if you're going to have light shown into your life, it's about getting close. So I love that image in that picture. And then the second image in the second picture is, of course, the picture of a sheep and a shepherd. But the phrase or the idea and the concept that we should be living by is not what pen, P-E-N, do you live in. It's what shepherd are you following? And so oftentimes the idea of discipleship or the idea of getting it all right or the idea of being all in is recognizing I'm in the right pen. I've got it all together. It's not about being in the right pen. It's about following the right shepherd. It's not about one day a week. It's about all week long. It's not about one hour, two hours on a Sunday afternoon or morning. It's not about a Wednesday night discipleship Bible study. It's not about an intense, I read the whole book of Isaiah this year. It's about all of it, all the time, every part of our life, asking where God is showing up in that moment. It's when we're doing the dishes. It's when we're folding laundry. It's when we are trying to have a conversation with a loved one. It's, it's when we're spending time with our kids. That's all of it, all of it, all of it, all in. So there's two things, however, with this. So with all these images, these are all the places. Your cubicle and the business relationships and deals that you make in your marriage, when you're shopping, commerce, economy, when you're in that meeting, when you're behind the driver's wheel, when you're out having a good time, party, entertainment, when you're raising kids and all of the things behind closed doors. You know, Jesus is there. And the two things that we want you to take away from this is when you're engaged in any of these activities, do we pause for a moment and just simply ask the question, okay, as a disciple, as somebody who's trying to follow this way, 
which we believe is the best way to be human, the best way to experience the fullness of life, how does my relationship with Jesus or Jesus' relationship with me influence and affect those places? To pause for a moment. And I, as we were preparing this, I was thinking of multiple times in my life where a very difficult decision had to come to play, either in our marriage or in the decision that we were making together. And I just remember, oh, if I'm going to say that I'm a follower of Jesus, then his influence on my life also has to influence this decision that I'm making moving forward. So number one, does Jesus influence the decisions that you're making? But then number two, is Jesus, do you, are you aware of Jesus's presence already in those places? Yesterday when we were at Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, there was a sign that said, bidden or not, God is present. And I love that sign. I want to get it and put it in my home, right? That whether I call on him or I don't call on him, he's still here. Whether I'm aware that he's here or not aware that he's here, he's still here. Whether I'm aware of his love or not aware of his love, his love is still present. John 15, Jesus says this, As the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is right. this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than he that lays down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, that whatever you ask in the name, my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, all of this that Jesus teaches stems from the point that God has so loved us that he has sent his only son into the world, that Jesus might show us the love of the Father, that through our relationship with Jesus, we might begin to experience God's love, and that as we live that out, we love him, we love one another, we engage in that, we start to experience more and more of his presence here. And remember, he chose us. And he doesn't call you servant, he calls you friend. This is the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. Because a lot of times when we talk about all in, it can sound like, well, now, great, I feel really heavily burdened. I've got 16,000 more things. I didn't know I was supposed to think about Jesus when I was washing the dishes. Great, fantastic message, I'm in trouble. No, 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 no. Yes, there are things to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. It's how we show our love for him. We obey. But it's more than only that. It's also experiencing and participating in the master's life. There's this great quote from Mark Iaconelli that we'd like to share with you, both to give you a little taste of who Mark is, but it also illustrates this point beautifully. So check this out. Desmond Tutu was asked to teach at Emory University. He was there for a year on sabbatical. They asked if he'd teach a class. He agreed to teach one course in the theology school. But he said, if you leave this seminary and you don't know God's love, in the marrow of your bones, you leave here with nothing. You leave here with nothing. Your power, your gift, your authority 
is that down in the marrow of your bones, you have encountered and experienced the wonder of God. You know what it means to be free, to be free, to be fully alive. You're a connoisseur of life. You know what it means to be alive. That's why there's humor here. That's why there's playfulness here. That's why there's praise and stories and music and prayer. All the capacities of the human being are invited into this place because that's who we are. We're living human beings who carry the image of God. And that's your gift that you bring to young people. It's that we've experienced this presence with Jesus that gives us authority. Someone who's all in speaks with authority. It's the people in our lives who are like, I don't think you're all in. I'm sorry, but I just saw how you treated that other person, or, or, or I've seen how you treat your spouse, or, and I've seen that maybe you've checked the box on Facebook, but, but I, don't, I don't see you living all in. But when we're all in, it doesn't mean we get it all together. It means that we're constantly trying to be in the presence of Jesus. And we're going to mess up that too, but we're just trying to be in that presence, and then we can speak with some authority. This is such a key point for me because um, I know many of us in this church and many of us around the world have experienced such abuse by spiritual authorities. And this point I don't think can be driven home enough. I mean, Jesus talks about all authority in heaven and earth, heaven, heaven on earth has been given to me, and, and he's commissioning us to go out. And so often we hear of spiritual authority being actually spiritual abuse because I'm in a certain position or I know certain things or I've gone to seminary and you haven't or I've had this experience and you haven't. Therefore, I have authority over you. And that's oftentimes the ways in which spiritual authority is used and deployed in this world. But according to the ways of Jesus in these ethics, your authority comes because of all these things we've been talking about, you have had such an encounter with the living God that the love of God and the grace of God and the person of Jesus and his ethics flow from you in such a way that it speaks with that level of authority. Um, Danielle has this great phrase that whenever you're in a position of suffering or pain or you are experiencing any sort of loss, the thing that you want is not somebody who's never experienced that loss to counsel you. What you want is somebody who has experienced that. You want somebody, as Danielle was saying earlier, who has the scars. Show me your scars. Show me what you've experienced, what you've gone through, what you've allowed into your life, what you've experienced. And that's what gives you authority. It's like the military, the people who make it to high ranks are the five-star generals who have actually fought in the war, who have the purple hearts, who have been wounded. Those are the people with authority. It's the parents who have raised children who have the authority, who know who have been there. And it's the exact same thing here. It's those who have experienced that love of Jesus that gives us that authority that Jesus is talking about. Tell me a story. Tell me a story. Don't tell me about all the boxes you check. Tell me a story of how Jesus has shown up in your life or in my life. And that, you speak with such authority when you tell me about how Christ has loved you. And so Jesus goes on to say, go into all the world and then baptize them, which is a beautiful picture of being all All in. in. Because a lot of us want to do this. And this is the worst way to get in the water, right? 
I mean, if you're sitting there on the edge and you just dip your toe in, you're like, I think I have enough information to determine that the water is a bad idea. Um, I've decided not to go all in today. Thank you very much. We've just, we, we step in just enough to go a little too cold. But it's the kid that comes running up alongside of you as you're trying to ease your way into the all-in Jesus experience. It's the kid that comes running up and cannonballs inside that you're like, that kid went all in, went all in really quick, kind of trying to get me all in at the same time. And that kid is now experiencing freedom. Their body's different in the water than it was on land. That kid is not, no, no longer on the edge trying to like, you know, get the chills. That they're now in. Their body's going to acclimate more quickly. They're in. And when we talk about all in, it can feel like, well, does Jesus really want all of this? What if what he's sharing with us isn't so much, hey, I want you to give up everything because I'm just this really jealous God, although that's true. But what if it's also, I know it's in your best interest to go all in. Don't stand on the shore freezing. Get in. Do this. Be all in. And the Jordan River is an all-in experience. There's no shore on the Jordan. You don't get to inch your way into the Jordan River. It's all in, and it's moving fast. And if there was ever an all-in experience, it's baptism. And I'm thinking we might need to baptize a few people at our retreat because there's a heated pool. So that'll work, right? But we'll get all in. Now, in all of that, we can get overwhelmed, but we want to say, keep calm. We're all in this together. This is not something you have to do on your own. It's not something I have to do on my own. In fact, that would be the opposite of everything Jesus is calling us to do. We are to do this in community. We are to be all in together. So as Spark in this coming season starts our community groups, our life groups, whatever we're going to call them, this is a moment for us to be together as we go all in to experience and live those stories together, to come alongside one another and say, how do I go all in? I'm struggling with being all in. I want to fully experience and embrace the presence of Jesus. So we'd like to ask you just one question. What chip are you holding back? Is there a part, a segment, where Jesus isn't all in and you're not all in? And so what we'd like to do, just for a brief moment, and then we'll close is we're going to put you all in. Would you take a few moments and close your eyes if you want to, whatever posture is appropriate, just for a moment. Again, not with guilt, not with burden, not with shame, not with a heavy to-do list, not with a spiritual expectation that you have to be perfect or you have to be good at this. Just ask the question, is there a segment, a portion that is not all into this? And if I were to take the leap of faith and to say, Jesus, this chip also belongs to you, just in your own heart and your own spirit, just say, okay, help me put that chip into Help me go all in, knowing and believing that he will meet us fully and completely there. Jesus has gone all in for us. He went all in. He entered those baptismal waters himself, fully immersed. Not one part still on the shore, not one part dry, 
all in. And he is there in those waters right now waiting for us to join him. We're not in this alone. He's here with us, all in. He's all in. And the great good news is that even if you're going to keep that big toe back on shore, he's still going to be here. He's still going to be waiting. And he's still all in. Our prayer today is that we would feel the freedom that comes with a cannonball run and a big jump all in. And so according to the blessing from Perkei Avot, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you just drink him in fully, completely, and drink in his words as though you were very thirsty. And as you drink that in, covered more and more in his love and in his grace and in his presence, then you feel more and more at home and at peace, throwing it all in, giving it all in. Jesus, be with us. Help us to be attuned to your presence. You are here whether we know you are here or not. Tune our hearts to yours. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And let us experience you tonight, tomorrow, and this week. Together and with you, may we be with you all in. Amen.